Hi there, welcome back to Navigating Work Today with Dr. Mark and MJ. We're really glad you're joining us yet again, and hopefully some of what you've heard resonates with you already. Um, this is episode three, and while life has never been easy, um, each decade and phase of it brings along new challenges for all of us. This decade we're living in is no exception, which brings us to the topic of today, human-centered leadership. So years ago, it was so much easier to separate work and personal life. Um, of course, that's not the case today. With the ability to be constantly connected, how we show up in all areas of our life really matters. Being human and putting people first is even more important than it was even a year ago. So as many of our podcast peers say, let's get into it. And with that, Mark, I'll throw it to you to talk to us about a definition of what human-centered leadership is. Thank you, MJ. Uh, when we talk about human-centered leadership, we're, we're talking about expanding the role of leaders. We're talking about including not just employees as cogs in the wheel or members of the team as getting things done. We're talking about connecting with human beings. How do we connect with human beings? We connect with them through vulnerability. We connect with them through empathy. We connect with them through our own humility. In essence, we connect with them as people, not just as components or pieces of an organization. So this is a significant shift for a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations, as, as you referenced, MJ, trying to adapt to what is going to be the new normal. And we've discovered, certainly over the pandemic period, but even before that, that the old command and control, I'm your leader, follow me, I'll lead you to the promised land, is no more. It doesn't work. It doesn't resonate. What does work, what does resonate, is connecting with your team, connecting with your employees, connecting with your people. And to me, it's taking the old adage that many organizations and many HR departments have lived by, the old adage of, People are our most important asset. It really means walking that talk, not just a placard on the wall, not just a slogan. So if people are our most important asset, then it's a leader's responsibility to help those people grow. So to me, yeah. human-centered leadership is also an expansion of how we define growth in an organization. Yeah, and I think what you're touching on too, Mark, is this idea of you know, people-centricity has been a buzzword in HR for a few years now, and everybody has tried to create the people-centric organization, right, where the assets are the center of the spokes on a wheel, and then you have performance management and promotion and separation and recruitment and everything hanging off this center focal point of people, which is super good. What I like about this expansion or alternative view around human-centered leadership is this idea that we really have to take into account people's physical, emotional, and emotional needs. I mean, there are limits to what an organization can support an employee on, but I think during this time, especially, we have to start having the conversations with our people. Our um, people have to have start, start having conversations with us about what they need, you know, is there a physical an accommodation that is needed? You know, is there a sight or hearing difficulty uh, or something that is a, a, a 
physical um, ability somebody needs to accommodate for, or are there emotional things coming up, right? We're trying, like we talked about in our prior podcast, we're trying to kind of re-merge in a different way all these areas of personal and professional and emotionally it's taking a toll on everybody. Everybody I'm talking to is exhausted for starters and their, their, their energy levels are zapped and they're edgy for lack of a better word. And I think mm-hmm. all of that stuff comes into how you lead your people, how you show up for your people. Um, and I think this old view of you put your armor on and you were whatever your title was in the organization and you got out of your car and you went into battle and you pushed the button on the elevator, taking you from the par- parking garage to your office. And maybe you greeted people along the way, but you had a position and you were part of that position power in an organization to your point about hierarchy. Now people are leaving all that at the door. You know, in some cases they aren't even leaving their house because they're not going back to work, but they still have a need for connection, community, um, and to show up however they need to authentically and be supported by their bosses. Mm -hmm. So this is all the stuff that's kind of coming up for me when we're diving into this topic of human-centered leadership. Yeah, and the support from our bosses has really led into a growth area in the workplace, in learning and development, and in leadership around mental wellness, right? There are, as you mentioned, a number of physical issues that need to be accommodated for, need to be understood, and can be worked with, and should be worked with, absolutely. The emotional, social, psychological side is an aspect that leaders hadn't been expected to meet. So in in essence, I see human-centered leadership as an opportunity for leaders to evolve, to go beyond their technical knowledge, their tactical knowledge, to go beyond a transactional relationship with a lot of their employees into a more connected relationship with their employees. We know more about them. They know more about us. So a leader's humility, a leader's vulnerability, a leader's willingness to say, I have flaws as well. We are all flawed. We're all going to make mistakes, but I still have your back. I'm still mm-hmm. going to support you. And it, it does get into another realm where I think we're trying to work our way through of, as you described, understanding somebody's needs and trying to support those needs, but also asking employees to be able to express those needs. Because that's mm-hmm. something that had been pretty much tamped down, right? Leave, leave home at home. Don't bring your home life into work, et cetera. And in, in today's world, our home office is our life office. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where we're operating. So to be able to support them on other dimensions is crucial. But it also means they have to be able to ask for what they need also. And many employees... That, that, is a, that is a bridge too far right now. They're, they're not comfortable making that request. Why? Because the leader hasn't created an environment that feels safe enough, that feels yeah. like if I bring this up, if I ask for this accommodation, or if I ask for support, will that be viewed positively or will it be viewed negatively? So we're still in the, am I being judged realm? And a leader has to create, as, as we describe in human-centered leadership, an environment that allows people to be comfortable enough to ask for what they need, 
to share what they're going through and to look to their leaders for support. No, it's true. And, and the work that's been done by Josh Burson and the Josh Burson Academy around these topics around um, leaders showing empathy and the how-tos around that, or what does it mean to be a vulnerable leader, or um, do people really want to hear my war stories? Because again, storytelling is such a big thing in leadership development right now, too. Um, it's It's stuff we have to practice, right? And practice makes perfect, but perfect doesn't really exist. But in terms of role modeling, I mean, to your point, Mark, a lot of these people haven't had this openness, this um, style of leadership really unpacked for them. They haven't seen it in action. So I think it's a little bit fear. Um, it's a little bit courage to take a shot. And it's also, it comes back again, psychologically safe environments also create this level of openness, but I do think it comes back to the leader setting the tone and being will willing to take a risk or go out on a limb, so to speak, to um, try a few things. You know, I've had some circumstances in my personal and professional life in the last six months where there have been some team members who have seen some tears coming from me, right? And what comes to me is this, um, it doesn't resonate over here in Europe, but at least in America, the whole Tom Hanks line from a league of their own, there's no crying in baseball, right? You just think, okay, what am I doing? And then, and then you think, okay, I have to recover from this circumstance where my, maybe my emotions got the best of me in a situation, but maybe that's okay for my team to see that, you know, I am human. I have a capacity when I overflow, my emotions kick in and that's okay. Do I have to apologize for that? Do I talk about it? Do I open myself up? Um, and I've had actually some really good conversations with my team as a result of this circumstance. And you do feel a sense of shame. You do feel a sense of like, holy crap, now I've lost ground with the team. But you know, what can you do, right? I mean, to explain it away is what they're saying in all the literature that women have to stop doing in the workplace, right? So you, so you sometimes feel like you're between a rock and a hard place. Um, and there's, there's an interesting series on HBO Max that I'm watching too. Brene Brown, who has written a ton of books, who's a social worker and an author and uh, has really unpacked a lot around emotions. Um, she's doing a series on the Atlas of the Heart, which is her new book. And she unpacks each one of these dynamics um, through, I think it's like a seven or eight part series. And it's really interesting too, to, to think about um, how we've been trained to control everybody else's emotions instead of trying to control our own first. And I think that that's what resonates for me related to this topic is if we can't be our authentic selves and show up a certain way as leaders, how can we expect others to do the same? Right. That, and that, and that is the key question, right? How do we role model being both genuine and flawed at the same time, which everybody is, and then how do we manage those emotions that are inevitable? Everybody has them. How do we do it better? And to the, yeah. the point you raised earlier, you know, expressing emotions at work, crying and things of that nature, very much looked down upon, you know, from anybody. And you talked about, well, should I apologize? And my typical perspective is never apologize. You might acknowledge it, but I'm not going to apologize for what I'm feeling because what I'm feeling is valid. Mm -hmm. Now, 
The other thing that I think it can do for leaders is it can actually enhance their credibility if they show how to recover from it in a constructive way. Again, yep. role modeling the behavior. You can have you can have the blow up. You can have the tears and acknowledge it, address it, recover from it, and move on. So it's not yeah. a showstopper. And I think that's a lot of what we've seen, at least I've seen in, in many work contexts, where an emotional blow up is a showstopper. It ends the meeting. It ends the conversation. People go to their respective corners. Everybody's kind of in their own head trying to figure out what should I say? How do I apologize for this? We don't, I can't believe I did that. The shame, the guilt, et cetera. And even on the, on the other side, you know, what do I think of this person after they've had that emotional blow up? Does that enhance their credibility? Does that diminish their credibility? Did I lose respect for them or did I gain respect for them? And I think right. every one of those instances is an opportunity to gain more respect and to enhance credibility if we know how to manage through. Doesn't mean yeah. we're gonna avoid, it means we have to be able to manage through. And to me, that's what leaders who are role modeling this human-centric leadership can teach their teams that mm -hmm. I can be genuine, I can be authentic, I can be flawed, I can be emotional, I can be expressive, and I can still recover from all of that, manage through it, and still have a productive day. It's not a yep. showstopper. It doesn't have to be the end of the meeting or the end of the conversation. Well, I think that comes from, you know, some actionable elements too around like a growth mindset. When you're in those situations, you grow from the experience, right? You take what you can, learning from that experience, and you move on. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure... 20 years ago, I would have just left the room and, and gone and cried in my car, which left this gaping open-ended sentence in the room, right? Of like, okay, where's the punctuation? Where'd she go? Do we go after her? What happens? You know, it's kind of like, um, how do you, and again, this is a topic for a whole other podcast around the, how you bring your masculine versus feminine at work, especially if you're a woman and, you know, how much do you get into these areas of empathy and vulnerability and humility and how much do you go to that armored side of, okay, suck it up, get through it, throw some dirt on it. The things that we were raised with in terms of some, some, depending on how you were raised in your family, um, it's, it's kind of interesting how this all comes together, but I think listening and caring, super important key components, having a little bit of courage, always welcome, I think. And, um, and, but you learn from all this stuff, right? And I think when your team sees you actively engaging, actively learning, telling your stories, showing up for them, they can also start to do that too. Again, there are boundaries, right? Because it's not like you can be hysterical at work every day for whatever. And you do have to kind of put limits around that. And I also think that, you know, um, people sometimes will play around with those boundaries. If you open up too much of a door to have everything be more like a Montessori school at work. I mean, at the end of the day, we're there to get stuff done, to deliver for our companies, to deliver against project team guidelines, mandates, quarterly reviews, whatever the structure is. Um, but I think coming at it from a, if I think of my, each of my team members, what do they need from a physical support perspective or an emotional support perspective? And what are they telling me? And then how do I also role model that for them? Those I think are, are the, the pillars. Yeah. 
And I think for leaders, it's, you, you mentioned it before, it's about practicing courage. It's about yeah. practicing vulnerability. It's about practicing empathy. Mm -hmm. And practicing empathy is, is not the easiest thing to do for some folks. That, that, is a, that is a stretch. That is a stretch goal. And yet, if the leaders can show what empathy looks like, it will likely be reciprocated. And that's True. the role modeling we wanna see in human-centric leadership. We want the leaders, as, as all of us as leaders, and as leaders thinking about how can I be better for my team? It's demonstrate it, role model it, be okay with vulnerability, be okay with being flawed, because everybody is, again, the goal isn't perfection. As you said, we all have deliverables. But it's all under the guise of growth for the organization, for the team members, and for the individuals. And part of that growth has to be at the human level also, not just at the revenue level. And I think leaders who practice it, right, it's, it's about trial and error. It, it, there's, yeah. not, there's not a magic checklist or script that a leader can follow every time and be correct. It's about that openness. And as you said, and I, I know we've talked about this in the past, and it keeps coming up on a regular basis for me, the importance of courage. That yep. the, the fear really keeps us from trying. And I think trying is exactly what we want to see from ourselves, from our leaders, from our team members, and for leaders who are willing to try, willing to experiment, having the courage to try and maybe fail. But as you said, it's not try and fail, it's try and learn. Uh -huh. And if I learn, I get better next time. And as, lo as long as I'm not repeating the same mistakes or repeating the same script that's not working, then I am learning. And I think as leaders learn how to be more human-centric in their communications, in their decision-making, in their relationships with their team members, with their peers, even with their bosses. I think that sets the example that other people in your organization and other people on your team can follow. Totally true. I think at the end of the day, it's really about communication and connection. We spend too much of our lives at work to be unhappy, to not feel connected, to not feel like we can show up as our authentic selves or to at least decide what parts of ourselves we'll bring into work. And then also giving ourselves some grace to figure out what this looks like, right? If you're bringing the, the, this concept of human-centered leadership, and there's a lot out on the internet about this topic and on podcasts and in various forums, it's really a challenge for an organization to say, okay, I have my people here. I'm expecting certain things from them. There are KPIs, metrics, there's performance criteria. We have everything in place from a structural perspective for us to perform well as an organization. But if, to bring it back to the front, when you had said people are our greatest asset, Mark, if people are our greatest asset, how are we bringing out the human in them? How are we allowing them to be who they need to be to tell us what they need emotionally, physically, psychologically to do their work when they're here at the office or at home working for us 
for so many hours. And, and we know that the day has been expended, extended with the pandemic. People um, are with these devices that we have. I mean, there's a lot around self-discipline, which is probably another topic for a, a future podcast. But I, I just think we can start to move the needle on what an organization looks like and how people fit in an organization by starting with the leadership and asking the leaders to focus on those human elements beyond just the people as cogs in a wheel that make their organization work. Yeah, I, I like I like when you said grace, because what that what that brought to mind is the idea that leaders can and should demonstrate courage and compassion. Right? Regularly, right? Take the risk, take the chance. And expect compassion from others, expect forgiveness, but also be willing to be compassionate toward others and forgive others when they've tried and maybe not hit the mark, but let's acknowledge the effort and the willingness to step out on that branch. If they're showing the courage, recognize that courage, reward that courage, and be forgiving if it didn't quite hit the mark but it's go it's taking us in the right direction that that's the move that that's the evolution of leadership a shift toward a more human centered perspective that is based on courage and compassion yeah and back to communication it's just it's really just a, a couple of interesting tools that could be used around the language would be leaders starting to say what can i be doing to support you better at work and then you just shut up and listen. And then it doesn't mean you have to give them everything. It's not an opportunity for them to completely unload, but you can at least open the door to somebody having a conversation. Um, I remember in one of these circumstances in my current company, um, my style of leadership is a little bit different than what people have been used to. And that has a lot to do with where I came from culturally, workplace culture-wise, and how I was raised in organizations, and then also spending a number of years in HR. And I said to one of my direct reports during a one-on-one, -on -one, what can I be doing to make you more successful? And he was just shocked. He didn't know what to tell me because he'd never been asked that question. But now I also know how to manage him based on that response. And it's something we worked into a regular dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's something that even if your boss is not asking to engage with you, you can say, um, can I have two minutes of, at the end of a conversation or at the end of a team meeting? You can always say, can I have two minutes of your time to ask you for something I need? Mm -hmm. And that's okay because a lot of managers would actually like the burden to be off them trying to figure out how to manage you and to read your mind. Mm -hmm. Give them a little bit of coaching. Tell them how to manage you. Tell them how to re reward you. Tell them what you need. You know, for some people, it's not a gift card, but it's an extra day off. Um, and that gets at that human-centered need thing. Um, and we know, especially in today's environment, one size does not fit all. But if we have the courage, like you said, Mark, and the communication skills, we can move the needle a little bit and move away from those traditional organizations where people show up, they punch a clock, so to speak, and then they go home. They're not invested. It's a job. It's not a career. And I think where every company would like to be is in that career space, not that job space mm -hmm. with their employees. And creating the dialogue is the first step. I, I, yep. would, I would add one addendum to that tool because- some leaders and some managers aren't comfortable just asking the question, 
what can I do to better support you? Or what can I do to help you be more successful? Because it sounds in their ear, in their mind, it sounds like they're inviting criticism. So <laughs> one, one variation of that that I've used in the past is to ask the balance question. And the balance question is, what are two ways do you think I am supporting you today and you'd like more of that? And what are two ways that I can improve my support of you? So it's a balance of, well, an employee can tell you, I like that you do this. I like that we have our one-on-ones. I like that you don't cancel our one-on-ones. I like that you give me a chance to set my own agenda. Those are all positives. So I just got some positive feedback that reinforces some of my behaviors. And I can have the balance side of that conversation of, and it would be helpful if you would give me more notice in terms of our late afternoon meetings, or it would be helpful if I let you know that I'm having a very stressful day and you tell me I can skip my last meeting of the day and we'll send somebody else. So now I get some very useful, very tactical steps, as you said, directly from the employee that, that the manager really wants because we're not mind readers. We're not trained as mind readers. We shouldn't be. So it all starts with the dialogue. That's a great point, MJ. And I, I think that's where human-centered leadership has to begin with the dialogue and initiated by the leader, because that's the role modeling we expect. So let's see where this goes, because this is sort of a hot topic in the HR world. Let's see if this, this does start to permeate organizations and we hear more and more about the approach to this. And, you know, we see that people are really adopting this model, you know, versus the 9,000 other leadership models that are out there, you know, starting with not only the people-centric approach, but the human need component of this. So I'll I'll be curious to see how this moves the needle um, on leadership development and see how, uh, you know, maybe in a couple months we can update something uh, on the progress that we've seen or case studies that are coming out on organizations that are adopting this, because we will probably have to do something a little bit different um, because the market is definitely shifting from being company focused in recruitment to candidate driven. So mm-hmm. if the candidates have a little bit more control and a lot more choice in where they work, maybe this type of leadership is, is something that could be a game changer for some organizations. So, um, you know, I think being human centered is kind of where we're going to go in mm-hmm. organizations, again, with boundaries and limits, depending on how an organization implements this. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things to take away from this is just to be human. Yes, yes. And definitely a great topic for us to follow up on later. Thank you very much for joining us today on Navigating Work with Dr. Mark and MJ. We appreciate your time. We hope you found this valuable and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Take care.